You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 55. Hey there, Impact Drivers. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and today I am just beside myself excited to be sharing with you one of my favorite people and talking to you about his upcoming book that I am so excited about. This episode is sponsored by Keyed In. Place the right bets, turn quickly, and deliver faster with this innovative approach to top-down portfolio and capacity planning. Looking at adopting a more agile method due to the ongoing crisis, concepts like iterative development, continuous improvement, and prioritizing a dynamic backlog, when applied to portfolio management, can deliver a host of compelling benefits that Keyed In brings to life. Learn more at pmoimpactsummit.com forward slash keyed in. That's pmoimpactsummit.com forward slash keyed in. So we have back Jesse Fuel. Jesse is my go-to Agile guy, and I have introduced him to you on prior podcast episodes, and today we are going to dive deep into his new book, Untapped Agility. Now, Jesse is an author, coach, and trainer who helps senior leaders from Boston to Beijing transform their organizations to achieve more innovation, collaboration, and business agility. A management pioneer, he founded and grew the original Agile community of practice within the Project Management Institute, PMI, has served on leadership subcommittees for the Scrub Alliance, and written publications reaching over a half a million readers in 11 languages. Wow. Jesse has taught, keynoted, or coached thousands of leaders and practitioners across 13 countries on five continents. His industry contributions earned him a 2013 IEEE Computer Society Golden Core Award. Wow, that's pretty cool. So Jesse, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, I'm super psyched to be here back. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. And today we are getting to talk about untapped agility. And I am so excited because for all of you impact drivers listening, I have a little secret. I've actually read this book and it is awesome. So we are going to talk a little bit about your upcoming book, how people can get a copy, how they can get involved and what untapped agility is really all about. So why don't we start there? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This, this book, this topic has been a two and a half year labor of pain and, and victory and introspection and discovery. It's been a real discovery about the journey that all PMO leaders have around change and driving change in their organizations and transformation of any kind. And there are seven specific patterns that I discovered in, in my own professional work, but also in the research that we did as a part of the book. And we uh, are just super excited at how it's all come together. And I'm going to share with you a couple of thoughts about all of the books. So here's the basic theme. Your transformation is not a failure. Mm -hmm. It has only just begun. And so I know a lot of you as impact drivers and change leaders, you're just frustrated. Why don't they just get this? 
Why aren't they on board? Why are they doing it wrong? Why do we not have enough resources? Why? It's just, and it turns out this is the entry fee to impact. Mm. All of the barriers and all of the stuff you're running into, if you're not running into it, you're probably not having any impact. And so that's the encouraging note. And there's a key kind of insight into the pattern. And then there are seven different flavors around it that, that we can explore. So that's the starting theme, Laura. Uh, and I see you kind of like deep in thought over it. <laughs> well, it's so super cool because what you just said there really hit a core challenge that I think PMO leaders have because PMO leaders and program managers, portfolio managers, change leaders of all kinds, they are in a position where they're helping to drive change in an organization. They're helping to drive transformation in an organization. They're helping to, and learning how to bring more agility, little a or big a agility into their organization. And there have been so many stories and some of those listening today may have some of those stories of how those transformations have failed them or they feel that they have failed. And mm. something you said just hit me really hard, which I hadn't considered is that if you're feeling the pain, it's kind of like growing pains. It means yes. that you're just getting started and you have to work through it. It's like whenever you start a new exercise routine or a new diet or you're trying to learn new skills, it doesn't matter what it is. When you're going through change, taking yourself or others through change, there are going to be some painful parts. And so I was just looking at you realizing like a light bulb was going off. That was my light bulb going off face. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. So let's, so let's dive in. Tell, what does untapped agility mean? Okay, so here's, here's what we discovered. We took a look at a half a dozen or so recent industry surveys, the one from the Agile community, one from the Lean Startup community, one from Scrum, DevOps, and we took a look at what's going on here. What are the common patterns? And what emerged out of that and some interviews and conversations was a three-step reality. And it all starts with the boost. And then it goes into the barrier and the solution is the rebound. So the boost is that good, logical, best practice move that you made to start the change, to start the rollout. Maybe you took some initiative because you couldn't sit around, wait for everybody else to get on board. And then maybe you installed some best practices because they're proven. Or maybe you seized several opportunities, low-hanging fruit. But eventually, no matter what you do to get started, you're going to run into the barrier. So yeah, you took some initiative, but eventually you realized that you need more people on board to have the impact that you want. And then you introduce best practices, but people don't understand them. They're doing it wrong. They're not consistent. And then when you seized all those opportunities and that low-hanging fruit, you ran into a lot of commitments and now you're feeling behind and under-resourced. And so it's frustrating. You did the right thing and now you're running nothing into headaches and the only way forward is the rebound, where you need to lean in a different direction. Specifically, lean against the logic of the initial boost and discover new opportunities. So when you seize that initiative and ran into the fact that you can only go so far just with your own department, it's time to give the transformation away. And when you introduce those best practices and everyone's doing them wrong and inconsistent, it might be time to throw the textbook away and tailor it to your organization. And those low-hanging fruit opportunities that found you overcommitted and under-resourced, now it might be time 
to learn some portfolio triage and prioritization, even on a personal level. And so that's the pattern, the boost, the barrier, and the rebound. And it happens over and over and over. And that insight can breathe fresh new energy, fresh new momentum into any change initiative. Wow. As you're saying this, I'm thinking, wow, this would apply if you were doing an agile transformation, but this would also apply for any kind of change you're driving in an organization. Yeah. You're trying to bring people through this change. I mean, this is big. This is, this is organizational change management big. This is mm-hmm. helping people see the way it resonates with me is what got you here won't get you there to the that next spot. classic. Yes. Yeah. yes. Uh, because what I'm hearing is, okay, so I'm putting myself in the shoes of all of our impact drivers. Let's imagine that you're in PMO and you're trying to bring change to the organization, create some structure, create some discipline, help them prioritize their projects, herd the cats, sometimes herd the cat herders, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've got a lot of project managers you're trying to bring together and keep them all aligned and keep them moving forward. And so you put some practices in place. There is a catalyst for change. Something's broken. There's a pain point. We're trying to fix something. And then as you go through and you start to get some momentum and some progress, it sounds like you might hit a wall. And when you hit that wall, you need to kind of step back and shift. And what did you call that? What is that? that the rebound. Back? The rebound. Okay. So then we back up to move forward and it's maybe a pivot where we have to kind of shift directions in order to actually keep moving forward. And if we just Mm -hmm. keep going full steam ahead, you know, what got us here doesn't get us then to that next step. So that makes perfect sense to me. And I think that I'm sure that all of our impact drivers listening are nodding their heads right now. Like, yes, that's what happened to me. I know that experience. I've seen this movie before where they've got some momentum finally in their organization and then they get stuck. Or like many people, you might recognize this if you've ever been on a diet or an exercise plan and you make some really good progress and then all of a sudden the same things you've been doing stop working and your body adjusts and adapts. Well, and then you, you have to do something different to shock the system. It's almost like that's what you're saying here. You've got to pivot and do something different to shock the system to start making progress. Yeah. So there are two things that you said that sparked something in me. The first one is we intentionally called it the rebound not just because it's alliterative with the boost and the barrier, but there's a, different, there's a different sense, a different kind of vibe of a rebound over a pivot. Mm. The rebound is where it's a change. It is a kind of pivot that leans intentionally against the logic of the boost. Oh. So what got you here, not only got you here, but it incurred the very barrier that you're experiencing. And the way to get around that barrier is to do honestly somewhat of the opposite of what got you to that initial place of momentum. So there's something to be said about making the most of a good leadership move before it's time to kind of fold back against it with another leadership move and thereby creating a sense of balance in your leadership as a change leader. Such that, like I mentioned with the three examples leading up, and we'll talk about a fourth example in more detail in a moment. But the other thing that you said was that this is big, it's bigger than agile transformation. And that, my friend, is the inside secret to the whole book. The inside secret is that we could have called it untapped change or untapped momentum, but we really wanted to zero in on this niche of modern ways of working around Scrum and Agile and Kanban and DevOps and Lean Startup and those kinds of things, because that happens to be where my tribe is, that happens to be where my background is, but That is the inside secret, that transformation is transformation. 
the destination that you're aspiring to, whether it's project management maturity, whether it's portfolio management, or whether it's adding an agile competency, all of these things exhibit the same kind of patterns. Yes. And that makes perfect sense to me. And I love it. I mean, you've got to pick an area of focus and there are so many quote unquote failed agile transformations, but I think you're going to talk to me why they're not really failed. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's important for all of you that are listening, all of you impact drivers out there. This doesn't mean you have to be doing big agile to take a lot away from this or from the book, frankly. I found it to be an incredible resource with very specific examples and actions you can take to ensure any transformation is not just successful, but if it's struggling, how do you get it back on track? How do you rebound in real meaningful ways that will help you shift and then continue to make that impact? So it could have been called untapped impact. <laughs> for that could have been, could have been. And, and that's actually what I'm hoping that you guys listening get from this is that there is more change waiting for you right around the corner. I know we're all frustrated when you run into this, but your job is not done. It's not pointless and it's not useless. It's just hard work. Yeah. And there's a lot of examples of, and I know people say it a lot, but the hard work is what's needed in order to get the big bang for your buck, the big benefits, right? However much you put into it is going to be reflective of what you get from it. And I don't think this audience is afraid of hard work, but it can be frustrating when you feel like you're not getting any momentum. And I know I would take it personally if I felt like my team or the PMO that we weren't making the kind of progress that I thought we should be, or we were having trouble getting our executives to buy into what we were doing and how we were doing it, or it just, it never, ever moved fast enough for me, for my, for my taste. (laughs) Anybody who knows Laura knows that's not a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit on the impatient side, but you know, and I actually now teach my students because I have a lot of students that are like me. I teach them to do what I was advised to do, which was go get some other hobbies or activities or sit on some boards, do some things outside of the office so that I could balance my desire to drive change within which the people in the organization needed to move. But anyway, (laughs) that's, that's, that is another deep topic we could go into, but yeah, yeah, let's stay on the topic at hand. So let's talk about transformations because you do say that there's no such thing as a failed transformation. And at the same time, I would say that some business leaders and maybe some of our impact drivers out there would disagree. So talk to me about how it's not possible that there are actually failed transformations. It really boils down to having a fixed final state in mind. Yeah. And having this idea, a specific vision in your mind of following the textbook perfectly. If we just do it this way, then we will be successful because isn't that what the industry said? Isn't that why it's a best practice? Isn't that why there are so many books written about it? Because it's all done this way. But when you peel back the onion a little bit, you notice that every single case study shows a different flavor of the end state, even if it's the same industry, even if it's a large company or a small startup. Every single case study has a little bit of a nuance that's different than everybody else. No two people have the same fingerprint. No two organizations have the same agile end state, the same digital end state. Everybody's a snowflake at the organizational level. So that's one thing is to understand that Whatever specific impression you have in mind might be a little bit biased and not necessarily informed by the reality on the ground once you start the change. And nine times out of 10, we don't even know 
what that end state's going to look like when we start on the journey. That's the unknown element of change management and organizational change and transformation. We, don't, we know what we need to do at an outcomes level. We need more adaptability, flexibility, speed to market, morale, creativity. We know that's what we need. But the mechanisms, the structures, the policies, the metrics, which of those are going to work and which of those simply just won't fit us, we don't know until we try. And so that's number one. We get frustrated that it's a failure because it doesn't look like what the textbook said. Yeah. And number two, we confuse outputs and outcomes. Yes. You're speaking my <laughs> love to, language. <laughs> I, I had to get that in there. I did. We Thank confuse two-week sprints as the goal. Yeah. When we actually what we're trying to do is we're trying to have more frequent delivery to customer and delivery to market. And so more frequent might be if you're delivering once a year today, delivering once a quarter is a 4x increase. Yeah. And you can take that to the promotion bank. Hey, boss, wouldn't you like it if I were to improve your delivery profile by 4X and improve your risk profile by 4X? Oh, that would be fantastic. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce quarterly deliverables instead of yearly deliverables. And look, I'm four times more agile than I was last year. As opposed to following a two-week textbook, which is too much change that the organization can handle on day one. And so we get so wrapped around the axle about the end state as it looks, we confuse the outputs with the outcomes that we're driving for. So that's why it's really about a misalignment of expectations when transformations are declared failures. And many times as the PMO leaders, we're just as guilty as the senior executives about that misalignment, about what the end state was supposed to be. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that is awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, that makes perfect sense. And I think it hits the nail on the head with what a lot of our impact drivers feel and how they're measuring themselves. Because I talk to them a lot about how they measure the PMO value and the PMO success. And we're often defined by the outputs we create as opposed to the impact we create or the outcomes we create. And so I'm always trying to get them to shift from it's not the number of projects or the number of people that you're managing or the number of templates you've created or any of those things. It's so much more about how the impact you made on the organization. And in this context, in order to see that it's about the impact you're making, you've got to change your perspective away from, did I check these boxes, AKA we are now doing two week sprints or we're not, Versus did we achieve the outcome, which was having more iteration, more collaboration with our customers, more engagement, more faster time to market, those kinds of things that are the benefit of doing that kind of work. So we really do need to change our perspective and the lens we're using to define success. And by doing that, we're then able to very clearly say, okay, so this transformation work, one it sounds like it's ongoing. It's not a point in time and it's not oh. a success or failure. Sounds like what you're saying is this is a journey, right? And that not something we check the box on. And because it's a journey, we're able to define many successes along the way by keeping that laser target and that vision of the future state as a, an outcome we're trying to achieve versus an output we're trying to create. So that's so how it's resonating for me. Here's a fundamental pattern of all living things, grow or die. Yeah. And so when you look at the root word of organization and organism, mm -hmm. it's the same thing about being an organic entity. And yeah. if your organization is stagnant, which is we're not evolving, we're not trying new things, we're not implementing new practices, 
it's not growth by headcount, it's growth by competency and capability. And if, if you're not doing that, because, well, we did that agile transformation two years back. Yeah, pretty well. We're done now. Okay, you've just declared stagnancy. I don't even know if that's a real word, but you just declared that you're not interested in evolving and growing because you want to declare victory. Well, victory is the right to live another day. That's what victory is. And so, no, their transformation is never done. There's always more growth, evolution, opportunity, competency, capability for us to achieve. Ah, and that resonates so strongly for me because as you know, I have this program called the Impact Engine PMO and there's six modules and the sixth module is all about sustainability and evolution. And it's intentional around evolution as opposed to tweaking or you're done now. I teach them how to make the improvements to their PMO or the changes or the shifts they need to make as an evolutionary process. Because for many PMO leaders, if they haven't been through that program, many of them will, okay, we put our process in place. We put our tools in place. We put our templates in place. We've got our projects we're managing. We're done. And that, like you (laughs) said, that's the beginning of the end. If you ever think you're done, it's the beginning of your end for your PMO. And so you should be constantly looking for ways to evolve and shift to meet the needs of the organization because it is an organism and it is going to evolve. And as it does, the PMO needs to be there and ready to support that evolution. I'll double down on this. If you're a PMO leader and you have uh, an organizational playbook in place, and with a methodology, portfolio management process, if you have installed all of these things and you've proven their value and you also believe in continuous improvement in Kaizen, then that means that methodology, that playbook, and that process should be formally updated regularly. Yes. If you haven't updated your official organizational playbook, methodology, portfolio process in the last year, then you're not living up to the professional obligation of continuous improvement. And so it's time to start looking in the mirror, which is one of the seven moves. Oh, so let's dive into that. So we've got seven different leadership moves that are covered in this Untapped Agility book. And I know that because you're a speaker at the PMO Impact Summit, you're going to be diving into some things there. So we Mm -hmm. won't cover those here, but... Let's talk about maybe a different one around these different- about buy-in? Buy-in? Did PMO leaders ever struggle to get buy-in? <laughs> <laughs> Is that ever oh, a problem yeah. for anybody who's listening right now? Oh my gosh. Yes. And I definitely want to dive into that one because I've got so many, I have so much emotion and passion around this buy-in concept. So let's go. This is perfect. Okay. So here's the best practice. Buy-in fundamentally is about influence and about alignment and about whether the people that you want to be on the same page as you are not on the same page as you. And so eventually you discover that no matter what your title, no what your position is in the organization, you are an influencer. Number one, everyone is a leader. If you have impact or influence in anybody's life, personal or professional, then you're an influencer, which by definition means you're a leader. And that means that you have authority and influence right now in your role. And the best practice around that is to leverage your role. So maybe you're Ted, the team lead, who doesn't have a fancy title, but he's the most respected senior contributor on the project team. And and he's going to say, you know what, I I think we really need to uh, install this requirements template. It's the best practice. They're called user stories. We should totally do that. Good for you, Ted. You had impact. Maria, the manager, on the other hand, she's got budget and direct reports. And so she has a little bit more 
positional authority influence with those people. And she's going to say, all right, everybody's going to agile training. But Emmett, the executive, well, he's got the fancy title and yet he's struggling to get buy-in from his peers at the senior team level. So he can't wait. He's just going to take initiative and he's going to leverage his positional role with his direct reports and the people that he can influence. Good job. Excellent. Here's the problem. You can only get so far by pushing. Mm. You can only get so far by leveraging your role, the positional authority or the influence that comes with your role. If you're a new PMO leader, you have a certain halo effect for a limited time because people are excited that you're going to bring in a new skill set, a new competency. And so you're going to leverage that role and get some quick wins. But eventually you're going to discover that not everybody's on board and that your positional influence only gets you so far. They're not on the same page. Can't they see this is so obvious? Why don't they want to do the industry best practice? Why don't they want to have ROI into their portfolio calculations? Why don't they want to have continuous improvement baked into everyday work? It's just so frustrating. They'll get it. And so the rebound is to let go of your agenda. Stop selling, start aligning. Stop thinking about your agenda and start aligning your skills, tools, practices, and impact to their agenda. If you're a PMO leader, you are in the service business. Mm -hmm. You serve the greater good. And so the boost was to leverage your role. The barrier is discovering that only gets you so far and everybody else just, just won't get on board. And the rebound is to stop selling start aligning. 100%. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I have done some stuff in the past where I talk about not selling the PMO. And if you're selling the PMO, you're doing it wrong. Because as our dear friend, Mark Price Perry always says, it's not your PMO. And that's where we get caught up. I can't tell you the number of times PMO leaders have said to me, and I remember early on, I used to say it, why don't they get it? This is for their own good. We have the medicine that they need. And we know how to give it to them and we're right and they don't get it and what's wrong with them and all that, all that. And what I learned and what I now teach my students is that when you are providing value, when you are focused on solving their business problems, then you don't have to sell. When you make it about you and you make it about the PMO and you make it about the templates and the tools and the process, not saying you never need them. I'm just saying when you make it about that, Nobody's interested. No executive is going to come to us. Yeah, nobody cares. No executive, no stakeholder is going to come to you and say, no, 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 hold on, hold on. Come back to me when you have five more templates for me to fill out. (laughs) When is that ever going to happen, right? So instead, we don't lead with the mechanisms that we're going to be wanting to put in place. We lead with the solutions. And when you do that, and that's what, like, as you're saying this, I'm just going, yes. When you lead with helping them to solve their business problems, Mm -hmm. the things that are really keeping them up at night, the opportunities, the needs, those pain points. When we solve that, then buy-in is just the icing on the cake. It just happens because you're helping them and you're solving their problem. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of PMO leaders miss and project managers and program portfolio managers, all of us. Agilists, Scrum Masters, all of us change creators. I think there is a segment of this group that gets super frustrated. And if you do a little self-reflection, you'll see it's because I was leading with the mechanisms as opposed to leading with the how can I help the servant leadership role and lead with how can I help you solve your problem 
we'll figure out the mechanisms, but we can't lead with that. So that really just resonated well with me. You know who does this the worst? Agile people. (laughs) Agile people are the worst about this. Oh, I want to check out my methodology. It's super awesome. It's got funny words like story points and scrums and sprints, and it's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. And there's a story of a PMO manager in the book named Gretchen who was hired as a PMO manager to shake things up, to introduce some of this kind of modern capability. And mm-hmm. so she brought in Scrum. She, taught, she learned it from me. And mm-hmm. so I take just as much culpability in her mm-hmm. saying, hey, guess what, all you middle managers, you're now going to achieve better results by letting go of control of your teams, allocating them into cross-functional project teams so that you no longer have day-to-day oversight of their work. And um, they're going to self-organize so that you don't have visibility into how they're doing. And it's going to be awesome. And surprise, surprise, they didn't like that. And so the mandate from their boss was about creativity and, and new innovation. But the whiffum for the manager was preserve the status quo. Yeah. And so she was butting her head up against that mental management layer for years. Yeah. Until she finally was like, you know what, I'm just going to let this play out. And it wasn't until she let the pain of the status quo get to the middle management layer themselves where some of them started to opt out and they retired. Some of them took more individual contributor roles. And then there eventually was a groundswell. Okay, this is starting to get, you know what we need, Gretchen? We need some new processes to standardize our agility across the organization. So she learned her lesson the first time about leveraging her role as the new golden child with the change mandate and then getting tons of pushback because the boss's goal was not the middle manager's goal. And then she learned that lesson. And the second time around, when there was an obvious need for some agile program management, the need for some agile portfolio management at a higher level, she waited. And then she listened. And she let the groundswell of demand such that there was already an innate interest and what she had to offer with the second round of transformation. And that time it went much better because she aligned to their needs at their timing. Yes. Because what she discovered was that she could not solve the misalignment between the executive director and the management layer. She was caught in the middle. Have you as a PMO leader ever been caught in the middle? <laughs> of an executive misalignment, right? I spent 15 years as a PMO leader and I've spent 15 years caught in the middle. <laughs> yeah. And so she found out the lesson the hard way, which is taking the boss's mandate and just bulldozing your way through the management layer is a good way to get frustrated and yeah. a lot of pushback. So her rebound was stop selling, start aligning. And that's when her tenure at the company started to be more fruitful and rewarding and her brand at the company started to be more value oriented rather than process oriented. Yes. And that's really the key impact drivers. If you take anything away from this, it's about that value and that value as others see it, not as you've been defining it yourself, because that value that they're seeing is going to be tied to that impact you're making, not the easier to measure but not as important to others outputs that you might be considering yourself as kind of where you're spending your time and energy and focus. So this is huge. Okay. So before we dive into how people can get the book and be involved in your book launch, which I am totally signed up for, Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the most common barriers you saw when you were doing your Mm -hmm. book research? As we dive into that, what were some of those common barriers that you saw looking across all these different sources? 
I'm going to answer the question and I'm going to focus in on the number one. Okay. So the most common across the board was that the leadership isn't on board with not enough support from senior leadership. Another one was insufficient resources. Mm. Another one was fundamental resistance to change. And so for that, we've got industrial psychology and organizational change management to play off. And those were all common recurring patterns. But number one, far and away, the most common barrier that people cited was the existing organizational culture and structure mm. is the barrier to change. Specifically, within the, the research that I did, it was a real about achieving organizational agility and mm. that the organization itself right now is getting in the way of us achieving agility. Like, don't they understand that we need to empower our people? Don't they understand that we need to be more flexible with our requirements and more flexible with our process? Don't they understand that in order to be agile, to be flexible and lean and competitive, that we can't be that anymore? The culture and the structure are in the way time and time again. And it hit me. So here's the aha moment. The barrier is the job. Yeah. Whatever barrier you're running into, change leader, PMO leader, transformation leader, agile leader, it's not the impediment to your success. It's the job you're hired to fix. And so you can complain until the cows come home, until you're blue in the face about, oh, I don't have enough leadership buy-in. Okay, well, there's a rebound move for that. Stop selling, start aligning. Well, I don't have enough resources for all this work. Okay, there's a leadership move about that. Stop saying yes to everything and start saying no to the things you should say no to. Well, the culture and the structure are in the way. And it's the, no, mm, there's a rebound move. Attack culture and structure together at the same time because that's the job. And I find there was one study that really hammered this home. And that was the PMI Pulse of the Profession study on agility. It came out mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And here's what was fascinating to me. That for the majority of the barriers that reported at the beginning of an agile transformation, the people who found themselves in the middle of the transformation were feeling those barriers more, more strongly, more consistently, more intensely than the people who are just beginning out. So that's where I came to the other aha, which is if you're not feeling the pushback, you're probably not pushing. Mm. And and that's fundamentally the challenge as, as leaders is the barriers are the job. The culture and the structure is the job. Okay. All right. So keep going. You may just need to rebound a little and back <laughs> off and, and shift, but Reframe. it doesn't mean stop. It's, a re, it's about reframing because there's yeah. so many things that get in the way of what we want to install in the way of best practices, good discipline and organizational maturity, OPM3, yeah. right? Yeah. There's so much that we want to do. It's just so frustrating. And if we just reframe it from being a barrier to being the job, it helps me feel a little bit more empowered. It gets me a little bit amped up where I'm ready to go back into the ring for round five with my adversary, which is not the organization. It's the things inside the organization that are holding us back. That's the adversary. And so it helps, I think, to reframe it from being a problem to being a mission. Oh, that's great. Oh, I love that. So I want to let people know how they can dive deeper on this. And there's two ways because I don't know how you could be listening to this and not want to go deeper on this because every (laughs) single one of you impact drivers out there are missing opportunities, could definitely use all of these seven leadership techniques, leadership moves to help you bring about change more successfully in your organization. And the book is called Untapped Agility, but I can tell you from reading it myself and from everything we've been talking about here today, that two things. One, 
you should be doing some big A and little a agile in your PMO and projects, no matter what they are, because the way we make an impact has changed. Mm. Regardless of the kind of project you run, there should be a ton of little a agility and probably some big A agility. I'm not saying you should have all projects big A agile. I'm not saying that there's one size fits all, but there are principles. And Jesse, you and I, we've done you know our keynote together on the us and them between PMOs and agile. There are some there's some good takeaways around big A agile. And if you look at the agile manifesto, I would challenge you to say, no, these aren't things that we want to embrace with our PMO and our projects. So keep those things in mind, first of all. Second of all, this doesn't just apply to agility. These are leadership techniques that you want to use, leadership moves, I like that, to know when you hit those barriers, and he goes into some really great practical examples in the book. When you hit those barriers, how do you successfully rebound so that you can keep going through and past those barriers and ultimately be able to declare, at least for a moment in time, success with your transformation? And then we keep going. So, all right, Jesse, Two things. all of you impact drivers out there, you must go get this book. So how do they do that? All right. So go to the website, untappedagility.com, pre-order your copy right away. And then when the official uh, publication date hits, it'll be shipped to you or you can download it on your ebook. Or if you really believe in this message and you want to help spread the message, there's going to be an opportunity on the website to join the launch team where you get the pre-release digital copy from me directly so that you can take a look at it and learn about it and learn how to share the word. You get some other bonuses and some discounts so that goes along with being on the launch team. So there's two levels of book engagement. There's read it and then there's like get on board with the movement. Yes. That's what the launch it. team is about. Absolutely. And I'm definitely going to be on that launch team and helping to spread the word. So you'll be hearing about it in the newsletter. I want you to hear about it here and on social media because I'm a huge believer in Jesse's work in general. Uh, and I've also been a student of Jesse's as well. And I also- You can learn more. Uh, if you want to like, go deep on this, you can go to the PMO Impact Summit. That's right. So at the PMO Impact Summit, Jesse, what are you going to be covering there? I'm going to be going deeper on this. We're going to spend just under an hour talking about three of the other moves related to limiting limited impact. You want to have impact, but it's not going as far as you want to. Why? And then what about those best practices? How, what do you mean I need to throw the textbook? It doesn't make any sense uh, until you discover that it's the only way forward. And then master no, which is about dealing with overcommitment. Have you ever been in a place where you don't have enough resources? Never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how about demand management? Yeah. Right? Is demand management a problem in your organization? Everywhere. We're yeah. all overcommitted. So what would be some concrete tips about the rebound of mastering no? So those are the three that we're going to go deep on. Got a couple of uh, fun anecdotes and some fun kind of pictures to tell the story. So check it out over at the PMO Impact Summit. Every year I've done this with Laura's colleagues, met some new friends and some new people and learned a ton myself. So jump on board. It's worth the ride. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And for all of you that have not signed up yet, 
what the heck are you waiting for? It's free. Oh, and, and for the record, I don't get any kickback or any commission or any of that stuff because we believe in the mission. This is free, you. right? Yeah. And Laura, I got to say that I'm impressed with the sheer volume of hours you put into all of the stuff you give away for free to people. It proves that your effort is where your values are. Thank you. Thank you so much. I truly believe that I want to help all of those PMO leaders out there that are going through the things that I went through for 15 years. And for all of you impact drivers, you know, I always say, I wish I had me when I was you. And I wish I had access to people like Jesse and all of the other fabulous thought leaders that I didn't have access to when I was doing this. And now I do. And I want to make sure that we all together can help you make a bigger impact with your PMO. So sign up for the PMO Impact Summit. Just go to PMOImpactSummit.com. Download the mobile app. You can find it in your app store and you'll also get instructions on how to download it. It's called the Impact Driver Network. You can download that mobile app. You'll get instructions when you sign up for the free PMO Impact Summit. And we are going to be doing some fun things in the app and in the community in the months leading up to the event, including sharing more information about Jesse's book and the book launch. So definitely go to untappedagility.com to grab your copy of the book, share it with your friends, and be a part of getting some fun additional goodies by helping to share the message. So with that, Jesse, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. It was a pleasure and a blast. Oh, always, always. And don't forget, this episode is sponsored by Keyed In. Place the right bets, turn quickly, and deliver faster with this innovative approach to top-down portfolio and capacity planning. Looking at adopting a more agile method due to the ongoing crisis? Concepts like iterative development, continuous improvement, and prioritizing a dynamic backlog, when applied to portfolio management, can deliver a host of compelling benefits that Keyed In brings to life. Learn more at PMOImpactSummit.com forward slash keyed in. That's PMOImpactSummit.com forward slash keyed in. And all of you impact drivers out there, that's it for today. I look forward to hearing what you think when you have gotten your copy of Untapped Agility, and I will see you at the summit. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>